Welcome to the Mastering B2B Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jesus McDonald. Enjoy the show. Alex, thanks again for joining the show. This is our second interview together. Yeah, I mean, thank you for having me on and welcome me back for a second uh, second episode. Encore. <laughs> yeah, so for those who don't know Alex, Alex Ferenzi uh, is basically running a social media and digital advertising agency uh, out of Miami, Florida, right? Basically and essentially, yeah. <laughs> nice. And him and I have been staying in touch. Um, anything that comes to digital advertising, he's your guy. Uh, and I had a, a few questions from you for you. Um, my let's dive right into the question. So should a B2B company pay for social media ads when they're killing it with organic? Yeah. So I guess let's unpack that question, right? Like when they're killing it on organic, right? Like that's a very relative term. Like what does killing it mean? Is killing it you're getting a lot of comments or you're getting a lot of views or you're up 50% week over week. But if your numbers are so, so low, that, that metric, you know, could be artificially, mm -hmm. uh, could appear artificially inflated, even though it's accurate. It's like, Oh, we got 50% growth, but if you're going from two to three, it's not that big of a growth. Right. So I would, I would contextualize it with what is killing it, right? Is it killing it in terms of engagement on the content and is that vanity engagement or, you know, fostering conversation, fostering dialogue, and then killing it in the sense of once social media was let out the gate, does their website start to experience an uptick in traffic? And that's how they're measuring killing it. So I think first would be contextualizing what killing it really means. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, right, if someone is asking me, like, what are metrics of success that you know someone's doing well on social media, right? It's one fostering conversations, like actually hitting pain, like pain points in which, or discussion points and things of interest that are fostering a conversation. If you're just getting a bunch of vanity likes, there could be other reasons why you're getting those likes, not, not discounting the content, but there could be other influences going on there. So one, I would say if it's on platform engagement, it's about the comments and the conversations. And then if it's leading to traffic to the website, absolutely. But before anyone gets into, right. into a paid media, digital advertising, sort of launch mode or mindset ready to ready to crush it with sort of paid amplification. It's mm -hmm. ensuring that whatever demand you have currently with organic, that you're going to be able to meet the paid demand. So if your systems and your team right now, even with organic are nearing capacity, and then you're expecting to plug in a bunch of paid, generate a bunch of inbound, whether it's lead generation on eBooks or like actually just booking consults directly through building, you know, trust and credibility with the audience. I think it's ensuring that the sales team or whoever that next step is has the capacity and has the bandwidth to reach that. So those yeah. are factors to consider before, once you're killing on organic, just know that there's going to be a lot of juice that's coming through the paid, a lot more amplification. So if you're already hitting that critical bandwidth issue on organic, I, I would say get all the, get all the sort of ducks in a row before you even launch paid, because then it could be counterintuitive if that's the first touch point someone's experiencing. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question, because on LinkedIn, you know, we have different marketers that ask about that. Um, you know, it's always good to do a blend. Then you have the PPC experts that come in and it's like, it's paid all the way, baby. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, okay, you know, if I'm a B2B marketer and I'm thinking about, you know, 
playing this scenario where organic is killing it, meaning we're posting on social media, let's just say LinkedIn for the B2B space. Um, yes, we get views, we get engagement, we get people going to our website, they're filling out our form um, or they're requesting a demo for SaaS, right? Come website conversions and they're saying, how did you hear about us? LinkedIn. I saw your CEO's LinkedIn content in my feed. Yeah. The CMO actually, or the CEO actually sent me um, your LinkedIn post and they're the CMO. Yeah. So that scenario where I'm like, okay, what if that's what I mean by defining killing it is inbound leads are coming in. Yeah. Should they even consider doing paid at all? And if so, um, do they do a blend and how does the blend look like? Yeah. So like, let's, let's use a context that I think most people are familiar with, even if they have never done paid, right. It's like that Facebook boost button that everyone's familiar with seeing that boost button. Maybe no one's used it yet in the B2B space for the SaaS company that we're talking about. Right. right now. But I would use a similar approach to that boosted button on the LinkedIn content, right. Where if you are feeling the momentum is building, right then you want to keep firing that momentum, but you also don't know, right? Retroactively, what was the post that then got the marketing associate or the marketing coordinator or the senior marketing manager to then forward that to the CMO, right? Because there is, there is trust building that's happening between the content creator, or the company page or the personal pages underneath the company page, right? Who are nurturing those marketing coordinators, just not, not the CMOs and not the VPs, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're trickling the information upward. So, they're also building, you're getting shared equity and trust based off the way that they see the right. report internal team members. So I wouldn't say like, um, don't do the paid, right? But I think it would be if you're getting indicators of a certain piece of content that's doing really well, I would boost it out just to see if on the paid side, you start to see that correlation. But at the same time, if you're building this wave of organic momentum and organic traction, I wouldn't want to influence that system with addition of paid, right? Because if, if you're building that flywheel and it's coming for you organically, yeah. I would then consider maybe going into another channel, not LinkedIn mm. and distributing the content there so that you know that that content's working on LinkedIn, it's resonating with the audience. Hopefully the audience itself and just the engagement is getting a past reach. You could boost it on LinkedIn, but I would consider what is another channel that you feel like you're not super strong on or the content, maybe the team just has a stigma on, getting active on Twitter or getting active on Facebook or getting active on right. TikTok, whatever it might be. Maybe it's repurposing the content on LinkedIn to those channels and then putting paid behind it there. Because if it's a brand new channel with zero sort of reach from the start, Boom. put the paid behind it to see if in that environment in sort of a silo it's working, but right. I would absolutely like promote content on LinkedIn if it's doing really, really well, but understanding that that content should have a call to action action because every piece, I think every ad needs to have a call to action. So whether that's, you know, modifying it a bit with just a call to action to, of, of a snippet of like, let's say a podcast recording, right. To watch mm -hmm. the rest of the podcast, click here to learn more. Um, making sure there's a clear call to action on that. Got you. And you can answer my question too, that I had in my mind is if it's a channel like Twitter and they've abandoned it for some time and they're like, yeah, let's put it out there organically posted. They're like, no one liked our stuff or loved our stuff because they yeah. do the heart on Twitter. Yeah. So you can answer my question like, Hey, consider, you know, advertising it. Um, and 
doing some, some paid there because that's going to get that reach and, and more people's eyeballs on there. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think that also just when it comes to paid, like, or just organic, right? Like you just said like, Oh, they're going to post it on Twitter and they're like not getting that much engagement. Right. Like, right. To expect the world, like when you just start posting organic content a week, a month in, even three months in is like just expectations need to be matched. So like mm-hmm. the same effort that this B2B SaaS company, whether it's a founding startup team or a developed enterprise already, like they already understand the time it took to build that organic footprint. So expect the same um, sort of timeline on any other channel. Of course, there's economies of scales. Once you have that brand recognition, brand awareness, whether it's personal right. or corporate, it's going to help you on that boost, especially if you have people transferring over to that platform for you too. Um, but with paid also like expectations need to be managed with a paid application strategy too, because just because now you're boosting the paid, it should be okay. Like what, based off the organic people, based on the organic inbound demos, what was their timeline to build likability and trust with that? And you should probably expect it to happen at the same amount with the paid side in terms of how many touch points are required to build that trust. Hmm. So if it took 10, right, on organic for the trust to be built, you can, can you could try to almost think that on paid, one boost is not going to move the needle, but you'll have to get right. those 10 different touch points that are relevant to the audience that they'll build that trust. Right. The other off the cuff question here that I have is TikTok advertising. Have you experimented with that? Right now, for just so you know, I mean, B2B marketers are diving into it right now, creating a ton of stuff. Yeah. Um, I know you have one for your agency, Avakazi. So I know you haven't started it, but I've been seeing it. Um, so my question is, B2B marketers saying the reach, the organic reach is so generous right now. Jump on it now, which I totally 100% agree with that. And we're on there. But how's the advertising part of that? Yeah. So in terms of my advertising experience on TikTok, I could, I could speak to just one sort of vertical industry right now, which is e-com, which is a different beast than B2B in terms right. of how fast a conversion happens. Right. Not to say that B2B shouldn't be pulling insights from direct to consumer advertising. Like yeah, the more they pull from it, the more success B2B will see in creating that, that personalization relationship, not like the personalized ad, but just the relationship with the prospect will get better. Absolutely. But with e-com, absolutely. Like I was running ads for a client of mine. That's a woman's, um, like luxury goods store. Right. So purses and stuff like that. And they crushed it like on TikTok. where across, across the board, we had double digit growth on black Friday, cyber Monday and cyber week. And we even have a VIP sort of black Friday pre for everyone who's a loyal customer and is subscribed to the email and across all the other social platforms, like Facebook search, we saw double digit growth from last year. So talking 10 to 30%, but on TikTok exclusively, like that was the main driver of growth overall, where we were getting 300% daily, like day, like year over year on the day of black Friday, cyber Monday, 300% increase. And that was hundred percent influenced by TikTok. Now influenced by TikTok and the ability to get scale at a much more efficient cost than the other platforms. But not, not to say that, TikTok on its own converts, right? Because this is all happening in an ecosystem. So we understood that we were able to drive very efficient top of funnel traffic to the website. And then we could rely on search display, Facebook and Instagram to close that loop. Now, when it comes to the B2B space on TikTok advertising, I can't speak to the pay. And in terms of, you know, having an account for the agency, I have it really for market research. I would love to get active on it, but all right kind of like what I tell my clients to like stay focused on a channel that is working, right? Like develop a channel at a time 
Like if you try to do all, all five or all six that are on your wish list, you're going to get shiny object syndrome and not do any of them correctly. So I'm right. still on my track right now. I committed to LinkedIn for a year. Now I'm adding video to the mix. So I'm just trying to stay focused and Love hungry it. on one channel. And it's the same thing I'll do to my clients when they come in or prospects, when they come in and they want to do four channels, it's like, well, let's master one or two of these really well for you. And then add another one into the mix that is a compliment and also can, can be strong on its own. So if B2B marketers are looking to get in on TikTok organic, like by all means, play around with it. I know that Todd Clouser from Refine Labs is doing a phenomenal job on TikTok right now. Like he's getting the scale, he's getting the vanity metrics from a consumer, right? Outside looking in without any analytics. I could see the vanities there, but then I also see it on LinkedIn where now he is someone that's popping up in my feed, meaning everyone around me in my network is talking about him engaging with his content. So he's getting sort of this discovery on both of these different places. So totally. that's just what I would say in terms of paid. TikTok is a very, very nimble, quickly iterative platform when it comes to paid advertising. Like one trend that's really great is when you use the initial two to three seconds of a viral trend, and then you plug your brand behind it following the trend. Now that's going to be tough in a B2B space trying to iterate that quickly, right? If it's a SaaS company for for example. Now mm-hmm. it's not to say it's not possible, but if the efforts are restricted on where resources can be allocated, that should be weighed into it, right? Where it could be focused on building subject matter expertise or on the platform or using it as a micro content distribution, right? Like focus totally. the efforts on the podcast, focus the efforts on the podcast, run the micro content on all the other channels, but don't focus specifically on that TikTok for TikTok first content. If the goal is podcast growth first. Right. No, that's really good. Staying focused. And then from that kind of reaping all the other benefits that come from just spreading it out. The other thing that I was, and the reason why I brought you on Alex is, as I mentioned, you run a social media and advertising agency, digital advertising agency, and you have all these deep customer insights because you manage all these clients accounts. right? Right. And I'm not saying drop their names or anything, but the thing is, one, you're a marketer turned to a CEO who's pretty much running uh, their own digital advertising agency. So you're really into it. And direct to consumer, I mean, honestly, that's where it's at, the deep insights. So I love hearing those types of insights. If you had to pick one, say you had a B2B SaaS company, we'll just use them, and they come to you and they say, money's not an issue. We just want to focus on one for advertising. Which one would you tell them? Which channel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, wow. Good question. I know you have to look under the hood, look at the metrics, look at everything. Yeah. 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 It's honestly, if it's, if it's just getting started, I tell people like they could say what they want to say politically and society and responsibly based about Facebook, but Facebook is the best one to get started on. Like it just has the most amount the, the, the largest audience to pull from the most amount of data, the most intricate machine learning and, and algorithm where it's going to be strong there. Google is great, but Google, you're battling to create, you need to answer the demand on Google, right? It's a search-based mm-hmm. platform. So yeah, like you could try to bid on your, if anyone's bidding on their own company name on Google search, like get rid of that because that's a waste of money, right? Be yeah. spending money on people who are searching for you that your, your website, your SEO and your content should be doing that for you. Uh, but secondly, you create, you create the intent on social and then you respond to it on search. So it's tough to scale on search unless right. you have that demand being built somewhere. Um, and then LinkedIn can be very costly. Um, sure. but 
it's also somewhere where ads tend to get like not respected on LinkedIn, unless it's a very good ad, right? Where like, it's very obvious what the ad is. And even the LinkedIn daily users are like scrolling past those ads. So I would focus on Facebook. And I think the biggest learning they could take away from direct to consumer advertising is that you see with a lot of B2Bs and specifically SaaS companies, when you ask them the value proposition, there's like, we do this, 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 and this. And like, it's so, they have so much value and it's tough to package it together, right? So we work with a great conversion copywriter, right? And try to refine that value proposition to a more succinct statement. Or if you you really have a strong product and it's like, look, there's, there's literally so much value that we give to customers, I would segment those value propositions, right? Like, so you have concept A, B, and C, where each of those are geared towards a reason to believe, a reason to sign up, a reason to, 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 to pay for the subscription service, right? Or the software, whatever it might be. So I would break it down based all of those different reasons to believe. And then the ad success is going to indicate what the market wants, right? And then you can iterate additional ads and additional creative that speak to that. But two, then you could also go to the product team and say, hey, look, like this is where we're seeing success with. It's right. based on X, Y, and Z. Can we add more copy to the website? Can we add more resources to the landing page that speak to this? Because this is what people are coming in with the intention of buying or the intention of the pain point that we really spoke to. So it's focusing not necessarily on let's drive traffic to get free signups on our trial Mm -hmm. right now. It's what are the reasons why people, why prospects would sign up and let's break them apart and figure out which ones are the ones that are moving the needle to actually get those signups. That's really good. Yeah. The other question I had is why is the website an important piece of your services? Oh, well, I don't do websites, right? But I drive traffic to the website. So the website is vital, whether it's a website or a landing page, right? Depending on the client and the goal. Um, It's vital because that's where the actions are taking place, right? I, I see myself as an integral partner to my clients, but I also know that I'm just one piece of the puzzle, right? Where, where my job, like my that's, that's, you could use like a football team roster as a lineup, right? Like you have the quarterback, you have your wide receivers, you have your running backs, you have your linemen. Mm-hmm. And then you also have like safeties and, and kickers and punters. Like everyone's playing a role, but everyone's goal is to win the game, right? So everyone that's working on a marketing team, whether internal or external, is still focusing on that goal of winning the game. So in order to win that game, I know my goal is get get the right audience in the right placement with the right message to click on this ad and get to the landing page or website. Now, most digital marketers, if when their task is done, they'll be like, I did it. Like I'm done. Right. Like we're, we're working on what's that next step that's happening, but I'm not the captain of that. Right. Like that now goes to special teams, offense, defense. Now it's someone else, but we're still in the same practice facility. Right. So it's understanding that website needs to be great because at the end of the day, marketing drives revenue. And if you're just driving, Hey, I'm driving all this traffic to site. And like the emails are like, what's messing up people, or this is what's messing up people. That's just pointing a finger and nothing's ever going to get achieved. And the client is going to get upset at the end of the day. Like everyone needs to be aligned on the same goal of winning. So the website's not geared right with the right messaging or anything, then my job, right. And my team's job is 10 times harder. And then we probably will not renew that contract because the end goal, which we are, everyone's aligned towards just isn't happening. So without the website, that's like inviting someone to a house party and then the house is a mess, right? Like no one's coming back. No matter if you tell them that there's free Don Perignon <laughs> champagne bottles for everybody who comes back, the house party. <laughs> totally. And I'm over here laughing and smiling because, you know, sometimes we get clients that, um, that are starting with social media and 
whether it's you, Alex, or somebody else or another social media agency, they're just like, no, I go fix your website before we start anything. Yeah. Because what ends up happening is the client ends up saying, why are we converting? Why is this stuff not working? What's the ROI and stuff? But again, you're inviting someone to a trashy house party. Yeah. <laughs> I love that analogy. Yeah. And not to mention, right? Like at the beginning of like when you first start working with a, with a brand or a company, whether it's B2B, D2C, whatever it might be, right? There's a, there's a, there's a path, right? Which is first like we need to fix the ad account and get all the metrics going together, right? But after 90 days, you kind of get out of that phase. And then that's like, all right, we have these learnings. Like how can we make it better? Right. Depending on how you segment your themes, like eventually you want to do different landing pages, right? Strategic testing of landing pages to say, what if the landing page had this versus that? And then at that point, I'm like fully involved with the web team building those different landing pages. But any marketer that's gonna that says yes to driving traffic to for a for a for a brand and doesn't know the, how the website's looking at or gone through it, like it's just gonna steal money. It's probably gonna be a leaky, leaky agreement. Um, right. Because like I'll work out like I have I have an, a phenomenal client who I started working with in the last two months, and I asked for their website, and their response was, to be honest, like we're still working on the website, but we built the landing page for the specific offer we want, which is like the amazing mindset to have. Like mm. we need to get going, we need to show market fit and proof of concept here. Right. We don't have the budget or the resources right now to go after a website, so we just build these three landing pages like to flow together. Like, can we use that? And that's like the perfect scenario, right? Like, all right, like you get it, that it needs to be done right. So rather than banging your head to get this thing done urgently, let's just focus on the landing page until that urgency then has time to be built accordingly. And then we'll focus on what the campaign structure and strategy would be for the website traffic. I'm just curious to know your thoughts on this. If they don't have a landing page already built out and they just have an outdated website, do you still take them on as a client or you tell them, go get a conversion copywriter, update uh, your copy, uh, maybe even the design too, and then let's talk because then I'll have more assets, like creative stuff to work on. Yeah. So we'll, we'll take on the client with the expectation that we'll have a website done in 30 days, whether that's us, you know, plugging in our preferred partners that we work with like JRM, right? Like we would absolutely be like, we don't know how to do this, but we know phenomenal partners that do like JRM's team. So we can connect there or additionally, like we need to bring someone in house, whether it's a freelancer that you guys are going to source and start building the website, but waiting until the website's built to start the ad strategy and that planning is, is, is an unneeded thing. So there just needs to be accountability that the website will be ready to go in one month's time. Because what we want to do is we want to come in and provide value and say, all right, let's speak to your customers. Let's do a voice of the customer audit. Let's pull these insights so that mm -hmm. we can build a landing page. And then once we have the insights from the ads and landing pages, we can better inform how to build a website for you or re refer content and strategy and themes to whoever builds your website so they're up to speed with what the insights and learnings are for the audience. So you guys using so, the first 30 days for just research, getting those deep insights and everything. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then I do, month two, yeah. you guys are flipping the switch on the ads to test. Ideally, we would like the whole first month to just do, do research planning, speaking to customers and then coming up with our insights. And then we also hold brainstorms and strategy sessions with the internal stakeholders. But Sometimes that can get rushed when there's a lot of pressure, right? We can squeeze that into two to three weeks, but ideally we like to have a full month for it. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that you also have like experience, right? When like everything appears like it's on fire and there's a lot of urgency. So the same way that you're asking me, right? Like how does it work when a client wants to like get ads so urgently, but the website's not ready. I'm curious to ask you, right? Like specifically when it comes to B2B and SaaS companies, 
when they're reaching out to you and they're saying there's an emergency, there's an urgent case, like what's your response to that, right? When, when emergencies and urgencies are, are floated your way. Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. Um, man, I would say the first thing that we do is we meet them where they're at already. Like they're not going to listen to me and be like, here's my whole proposal. Here's my agreement. Here's my 19, 20, 35 questions that I need to ask you. Like they're in desperate mode. So I try to meet them where they're at. And right now this will change later, but right now, if they come to us as an inbound lead to fill out the form, um, there, there is no form. It's just book a time on my calendar. You're going to be talking directly to me. So people see my LinkedIn content, then they book a time with a Seuss. They're like, oh shoot, I'm going to talk to a Seuss. <laughs> and then we end up, it's, it's a crazy and funny experience. Um, but it's real, it's genuine. That's what people love. So then when we talk about it, I go straight just for the juggler. Like, what is the emergency? If it's an emergency, what's the urgent issue? It might be multiple issues. And I just listen to them, right? And then I would say, I let them know about our services. So I jump into the services part, right? And I let them know pricing right off the bat. Because here's the thing. Some people talk about pricing at the end. Again, these guys need to move fast, right? Right. They could be losing on, on sales, on deals. Yeah. So potential buyers. So they need to hurry up and move fast. So I'm trying to speed it up. And right off the bat, I talk about the pricing because I don't know what their budget is. I don't know if that's going to be a deal breaker for them just right off the bat. So we talk about that, right? Sometimes um, people are just used to paying for freelancers that they're not used to paying for agency costs, right? Yeah. So they're like, oh, sorry, I thought this would be like a quick one-time fix and then I'll never see you again ever. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, go to Upwork or Fiverr for that stuff. But at the same time, be careful because you don't want to trust a stranger with all that sensitive information on the back end of your website. So yeah. that's a different topic. I'm not going to get into that. but. That's kind of like what we get into. And then if they still want to proceed with us and they're like, yes, pricing, this, this, everything looks great. We just need to go. Then I'll start asking them some very basic questions to get together a, propos a proposal slash agreement. And then we kind of go through that process with them. But I try to get that ASAP, like that becomes front of the line because it's the fire we're trying to put out. So right. we get the agreement within, I would say less than 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and we just fire it off, get their e-signature. We ask for login credentials. We look under the hood. And then we, we fix the issue. Once we're done fixing that issue, um, we got the immediate need met. Then I start giving them a strong recommendation on doing a website audit. And I put this in the agreement as a strong recommendation. Yep. And I talk about that in our discovery call, because when we inherit a website, one is scary for us because we don't know what was like a mechanic. I don't know what's going to be underneath the hood. Yeah. Right. You might have bad code. You have might have malware already on your site. Like, I don't know. Right. A lot of people don't know either. It looks pretty. It looks like it's working. But at the on the back end, it's like, uh, yeah, you have a ton of vulnerabilities. What the heck? So, yeah. <laughs> so it's just crazy. Um, so what we do is we do a website audit and we do a different approach with our website audit. We dive right into the website audit and we go to the back end of their website. 
And we start looking for vulnerabilities, their themes, their plugins, everything, security issues, malware, as I mentioned. Um, is there bad code? Are they following best practices? And then we put together a list of recommendations. We always put a redesign on there because we didn't build the site. And we already know like we can make it like 10 times better. But again, it depends on their budget and where they want to spend, right? Their their marketing dollars on. Yeah. But then that's pretty much where I we go with it to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I guess, I guess to ask the question to like a second way, right? If it's um if it's like, hey, we just need this quick issue, right? You go into the hood and you can do it. Now, what if someone's like, I need a new website by yesterday? Is that something that like at that point it just becomes a how much is this is this new business worth that it's worth burning the midnight oil for the next 72 hours to get it there and put the team through that? Or is it we have a gate check that we do and 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 we the fastest we can do it is five days or 10 days or a set period of time. So before I go to the reaction response and um, just say, yes, do it. Here's the high bill. What I do is I ask a lot of questions. Does this really need to be done as if yesterday? Is it, is it the CMO, the VP of marketing, director of marketing, or is the CEO that's pushing for this? What is it? Is it really an issue or lack of planning? Like, is it really that big of an emergency? Because the one thing too, just from our experience, those who move like ASAP are not considering a lot of things throughout the process. They're cutting a lot of corners, yeah. which means more mistakes, which we can fix, but more money. So that's yeah. another thing where I'm like, at the end of the day, you know, it's a business decision. If they want to do it, we have the manpower to do it. So we'll go ahead and say like, yeah, let me see how many people are available and what the cost is going to be. Cause that changes. Because yeah. normally it takes us four to eight weeks for just a standard WordPress website to get it developed and launched. And why I kind of push back a little bit, I ask questions, but I push back a little bit, especially if I know it's not an emergency and majority right. of them are not like nine out of 10 are not. <laughs> so it's because I want them to have the copy on point, the messaging, the positioning, everything. Like I want their website visitors to, and potential or potential buyers to read as if I already know the company. I already know this. Like they wrote for me. Yeah. Understand my pain points, all this stuff. If we're like, yeah, let's do it fast. Let's use the existing content. Let's do this and do this. And then I'm going to change the content later. Um, sure. It's going to be a high bill to rush it uh, to that a new content changes the design layout, which is also going to cost more money. We should have just done this from the beginning. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah which you kind of, you kind of read my mind. Like I had a feeling, right. Because when I speak to most like business owners, but specifically marketing, like marketing heads, right. Like running a company that, that you deal with, right. From the, from the ops to the account management, to the actual production work, like we're in all of these phases because we got to manage either like our teams or mm-hmm. our partners that we're working with. So I'm always curious to hear, right. From the website side of things. And you said it right now, what are like the three most common emergencies that are not genuine emergencies that you hear when like people are responding like, <laughs> Oh man, like the house is on fire. It's like, and we have a leaky tap. Like that's what's going on. Yeah. So that's really, it's a good question. And it's comedy to me because it can be live chats, not working, you know, or, or, um, sites down and someone in their IT department 
did something <laughs> to the right. domains or something. Um, SSL certificates not working. Everyone thinks, you know, we're spammers. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks, you know, this is proceed with caution now on the website. <laughs> so that's another one. Um, and of course you, you want to jump on them fast, but yeah. emergency, emergency, um, could be like the call to action button. Hey, it's not opening. Hey, it's not doing this. Mm-hmm. Hey, sending it to the wrong you know, place. Um, yeah, there's, I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head, but they're not emergencies as, as you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. It's always, funny. it's always funny to hear it from like the, 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 the provider vendor service side, right? Where it's like, ah, oh, this is not really an emergency. It's not. And honestly, if the way to prevent all this stuff, because you end up paying high costs for this, you have to pay someone out of pocket for their time. And if you think it's free, man, you're going to have a hard time understanding their services and how things work. And that goes for all vendors. So you can avoid all these high costs by just having meetings weekly, monthly, quarterly type meetings, but actually slow down. Like if a CEO sends you a Slack about something off the website, you don't just react to that. You, you talk to the team or you seek more information from the CEO to better understand them. Sometimes they don't understand the CEO. Yeah, they think yeah. one thing and out of fear, they go this way. <laughs> and then the poor marketing team, you know, takes that hit and they're like, crap, we have to drop everything for this guy again. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the CMO or VP of marketing didn't really seek to understand the CEO. Yeah. And the CEO didn't even want that. So everyone is like going in like a frenzy, you know? <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, it's, that comes down to, right. I, and I think you had a post about this maybe like a week or two ago. And I, and I chimed in the comment section, which is like a lot of these problems, chaos, emergency, urgency, they just stem from like a miscommunication where like a right. message was misunderstood, but taken as gospel. And then that's what everyone's operating. And it's just like a game of telephone that we played as kids at the end of the day. Right. Um, but what you just said, right. Like this, because things are coming rushed, right? And th- you're going to pay a premium now for this rush. And then later, something's, it, it's, we're going to need to do a redesign and it's, that's going to be rushed. So there's going to be an extra bill, right? I'm not sure how to say this word in English because this is, this is a le- wisdoms from a Latin mother, right? A Spanish mother. So there's a, ref- it's called ref- refrans. I think it might be the same in English, like a, a refrain, mm-hmm. which is the lazy person always works twice as hard, right? Which is like, if you just take the time to do, to do it properly on day one, like let's get the, let's get the website contact, the copy and everything ready so that we can create the structure and the design of the development. Right. That's working once, right? Fix the design, then fix the content. That's going to be working twice, which like my mom used to always tell us it whenever we were doing work for ourselves, but like also when it came to the dishes, right? Like if you're going to do the dishes and it's already going to suck that you're at the sink, right? Like do it right. Like don't leave them half greasy because when I come to see them, I'm going to say, do it again. And then you're going to have to do it again. And it's going to, it would have just taken you an extra minute of effort. So taking that lesson, like, I think it applies across all these marketing activities, right? Like doing it correctly so that you don't have to do it twice. Hmm. And the other thing too, is like, what's the solution? The solution is really having those weekly meetings with your marketing team prioritize, Hey, what's the low priority? What's a medium priority? What's a high priority for this week? Oh, yeah. What can, what can we do as a marketing team? What can we send to Asus and his dev team 
so they can, you know, start tackling this week. You don't ever want to rush someone that's a specialist. You don't ever want to do that. Imagine it, you know, rushing a painter who's trying to paint the Mona Lisa for you. Like, like you don't ever want to rush anyone. And maybe that's a crappy analogy, but it just starts. It's not good. You paid for a specialist for a specific reason and they're good at what they do. If anything, ask them how long would it take them to do it? What would be ideal? What's the fastest they can do it? Do you need any support? All these things. But another common one that I see. So for those who are listening, you know, I'm a B2B marketer turned CEO. So I've seen both sides of the field. So the thing that I see a lot is that the CEO, and I don't know, maybe they have a ton of stress. I'm making assumptions here, but they react a lot. So then they send it to CMO or VP of marketing, director of marketing, depending how big your company is and your structure. And then they react to their team. I mentioned this before, right? But here's the thing. They don't speak up to the CEO out of fear. So they just become task doers. And that's not a role of a marketer. So I would definitely advise those like feedback as feedback, take this as feedback. Yeah. Speak up to the CEO because it's going to hurt your marketing team. Yeah. And it's just going to hurt you on a future performance review, right? Like if you're, if you're, if you're in a company that's doing those, right. It's like setting the expectation up front and early, right. Where like, like there's, there's, and I'll take this even outside of like, to like make it even a riskier situation where it's like, brand and vendor or, or organization and vendor, right? Like I'm right now working with a biotech company where there's their sales target. We beat it by 15% first month that we onboarded them. Second month, we're already on track to the, the next month was a 10% increase and we're already 9% over the additional increase. Now, January 12th, for whatever reason, they had a killer day, like a killer day where on that run rate of January 12th, they would have 2X'd their sales goal. So the client comes over and is like, hey, January 12th was so phenomenal. Can we replicate this if we give you additional budget, right? And that is just laying expectations, right? If someone is hungry for the extra dollar or the incremental revenue and says, yeah, like swing me another 100K because then that either bumps my, my percentage of media spend is going up, so I'm happy, or they go into another tier, so now my retainer goes up. Like that is a short-term gain. That is mm-hmm. going to be a long-term pain. Meaning you, you damn well know that you're not going to replicate January 12th. Like that was just maybe a day where someone did word of mouth and like the whole company, you got four or five organizations that later now are like signing up or whatever it might be. Right. So grounding those expectations where you're not this unicorn savior, you're just the expert and the specialist that's going to guide them through this journey. Right. So if, if you promise everything to the CEO and you don't speak up, then when, when review comes, Hey, you said you could do this. Like, why didn't you tell me it was an unrealistic expectation, which a lot of times, right? The CEOs are balancing so many hats that once you get to a point, mm-hmm. they're not in the trenches. They don't actually, and it's, it's not that they don't know, it's just, they don't have time to, to be in these weeds of figuring out how, how effective it can be. Right. They're just asking questions and they're expecting a counter, either a yes, no, or it's actually this way. And right. everyone's guessing. Well then good luck in the next 90 days or your, your semi-annual review or your annual review. Like that's going to be a tough conversation to have. Totally. Well, Hey Alex, I know we're coming up on time. These are all juicy topics and 
I know we can go all day with these things. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we're CEOs and we got to get back to our client and all our other, all our other works. Absolutely, man. Thanks for your time and, and for joining the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep in contact as we always do and look forward to seeing some of these pieces make it on LinkedIn. I'd love to see you do like a, the top 10 things that are not an emergency, but you think are an emergency list. Mm. I'd be so excited to see that. I'll post that for you then. Yeah, thank you. Just for me. Don't just post for you. Yeah. I'll just put for Alex. <laughs> Colin. Oh, <laughs> right, awesome. man. Have a good one. Thank you. You too. Have a great one. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mastering B2B Marketing Podcast. If you've been getting value from this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts in the review section. It will mean a lot to me. And lastly, make it a great day.